Hello and welcome. My name is Jolene. And I'm Emma. Two costume designers who share love of horror and fashion history have brought us together to deep dive the horror genre, going behind the scenes to uncover, understand, and analyze iconic horror characters and costumes that are simply to die for. On this special episode of To Die For, we are celebrating our one-year anniversary first season of the podcast. We'll be reflecting on the past year, our favorite moments, as well as chatting about our favorite releases and new watches of 2021 and looking ahead to season two. Jolene, can you believe it's our one-year anniversary birthday extravaganza? <laughs> uh, no, I can't. It's so I'm, weird, right? It, it went so fast. Yeah, it really did. <laughs> and it's like been a whole year. Which yeah. feels also very weird. Yeah. And I guess maybe because we only do two episodes a month and for like right. a little bit, we kind of fell off the handle and like maybe did one. So right. it doesn't Yeah, we took kind of a like... hiatus there for a moment. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. We've worked out the kinks. We figured it out. But <laughs> we're just busy yeah. girls. Yeah. We're, we're, well, we're busy girl bossing. That's totally fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am. I'm so excited. Um, and I'm so excited that we get to keep doing this and, we keep, and we're growing yeah. and – Ah, oh, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, I think that <laughs> I think it was like um, I don't even know what episode it was, but sometime over the summer, I feel like we really like there's an episode we did where we felt really like keyed in mm-hmm. to what we were doing, and we felt that we had kind of, as many say, identified the identity of the podcast, found the voice of the podcast, and yeah, um, I think we're just really excited to uh, explore that more in season two, and um, we'll talk more a little bit later about sort of. Uh, a little sneak peek into what we're hoping to um, do with season two. Um, but I know that we're very excited about it. <laughs> yeah. And I'm really proud of the work that we've been doing this year. I mean, me too. We, <laughs> like people are talking about costumes now. People yes. are recognizing that costume design is more than just shopping. It's more than just period films. Like, and like, I feel like it's maybe just because I keep shouting it at people and like, so the people in my sphere like are recognizing it and stuff. But I feel like even on Twitter, I'm seeing a lot more exposure to costuming in general. And like people are taking much more notice of it, which is incredible. I I think so too. I'm proud of us as well. I, you know, we, we met, um, online, we still haven't met in person. <laughs> Not met in person. The pandemic, but um, we're hoping to this year, and maybe we'll just do like an in-person season two, and that would be oh, very be so cool lovely. to do that. Um, but we connected in like 2020, I think. Yeah. Um, over our shared love of this very niche subject of <laughs> one that costume design is so important, and kind of just like wanting to talk about that all the time yeah and um also that horror was our sort of main space that we were kind of moving about in and that the um that horror and costume design had this really wonderful intersection um that we wanted to explore and the first thing that we did um together um we'd both done some like writings i think about costume analysis more specifically you had done through your blog and then through monster mm-hmm. stem i did a couple sort of costume overviews analysis of you know like you know eras and decades and specific films and that kind of thing and then we did the costuming horror roundtable um which i think we did at the end of 2020 not yeah, too long like, after we met yeah it was like summer like midsummer 2020 Yes, and yeah. we, we had your soul sister, Jen, also yes. on the roundtable, who did our logo for To Die For. She did, and she did an amazing, amazing job. Such an amazing job. 
Um, and then I feel like it was only a couple months after the roundtable that we were like, we should turn this into a podcast because yeah. there's so much to talk about. And I feel like the roundtable, we covered a lot, but felt like we had only scraped the surface as in that we could have a space where we can dive even deeper and that people who are kind of like, you know, their interest has sparked a little bit by um, the content that um, we've created in the past with the roundtable and your blog and all that good stuff that if people could kind of dive a little deeper with us. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, I do think that I've, I've seen a lot of content surrounding costume design. Of course, Emily, who was also on the uh, roundtable, has been doing yeah. Final Girl fashion. Her column's amazing. Um, and I love seeing that not only there is more coverage of uh, costume design and horror in general, but that people are excited to talk about it. Um, Absolutely. Recognized. Yeah. And I even just noticed, like, even like when I talk to my dad, you know, he's like, oh, I like look at films differently now because he's like, I don't think of these things. And like, I hear that from a lot of people that are like, yeah, I didn't even, even think of that. And I'm like, oh, I'm, that's awesome. Because, you know, when we go back to these films that are comfort films for us and we've seen them a bunch of times, they, sometimes we put them on in the background and we don't really pay attention to them. So if you yeah. have something new to explore about something that you love so much, I think that's really exciting. And I, that's why we do what we do in horror because there's a comfort, but there's a challenge to the genre. Yeah. Yeah, so in order to absolutely. be able to to do that for people, I'm I'm so happy that we've been able to do it for you guys. Yes, me too. <laughs> and you know, it it I think what you said really hit the nail on the head where we're looking at something through a lens that is not normally looked at through. And, um, you know, it, I would even love to hear a podcast from production designers about like the impact of their work through, yeah. um, you know, because there, there's just departments in general that are so underrepresented as far as the voices that are being platformed. Yeah. Um, and there's, you know, different departments have such interesting, um, unique techniques that they use and thought processes and creative processes that they use to amplify the story of a film. And horror is such a beautifully, you know, magnetic and diverse genre mm -hmm. that it feels like there's so much to explore. And, and I'm so happy that we get to look through it through a lens that feels, I think, really fresh for people. And I mean, it feels fresh for me too. I think that's why it's always been fascinating to me yeah. um, to kind of look at it through this angle um, because it really can open a door to view a film in a potentially different way. And yeah, I'm, I'm just so happy that we get to keep doing this as well. Yeah, me too. And I'm excited for all of the topics and the things that we have planned for season two and, and you know, in the mm -hmm. future. Cause I mean, Emma, the whole big reason that Emma and I do this podcast is not, we all, we love talking about clothing and fashion and costume design and stuff, but we also love researching and we love finding yeah. this information out. I think, I mean, that's one of my favorite parts of being a costume designer is researching because you are completely informed about a time that you were not a part of just through the research and through like looking at the way people wear their clothing and the way that um, society looks at clothing. I mean, the French Revolution wouldn't have been what it was had it not been for sections of pockets of people dressing certain ways to like make themselves known that this is their political standing and it was it was a much bigger war you know just i'm surmising it listen to <laughs> dressed because they do a really great episode yes. on that but basically just how much clothing influenced the outcome of that war and the 
um, rebellion of that war and like, you know, having different sides turn against each other in that way. And a lot of it was because of fashion. And so it's so interesting when we get to do this and dive into why these designers did the way that they did, especially the ones that, you know, we find out that they don't have designers. So now we're Mm -hmm. playing detectives more and we're like, okay, well, I wonder why they made these choices because there wasn't somebody at the professional helm of the ship making Mm -hmm. these choices. Someone had to do it. Right, right. Absolutely. It's so fascinating. And also something that is important to me or just something that I think about a lot is that fashion is so much more than just luxury like couture houses um and and status symbol and it's it's so much beyond that to the point of even fashion outside of film so many designers are artists um you see the most beautiful I mean there's runway shows that are not even about just wearing expensive clothes at all I would say that Many of them are about a story and an experience and the clothes have a meaning and a theme and even down to the production design of a lot of these um, runway shows uh, really ignites just a lot of creativity. And it's important to shed a light on the fact that fashion is more than that and that we can reclaim the identity of fashion as an art form versus um, being a luxury symbol, which it has, you know obviously been uh throughout time and people have viewed it as such because a big part of it um culturally is that it is a very luxurious thing to indulge in and obviously there are very expensive clothes out there um but more than that um it is a form of expression um and i love seeing it done as such and film is just the best medium in my opinion for that yeah because you're not only telling stories which is an art form in itself you're telling visual stories yeah so getting to mirror the two worlds I also find too that for us as women it's definitely a reclamation of you know how how women were just always cast off in their youths of being well all right they just care about clothing and how many you know like I started watching Family Ties a little while ago and I had to stop because it's a great, it's a good show, I will say. And it's pretty progressive for the eighties. Um, and I was watching it for Michael J. Fox cause I love him, but I felt really underserviced by Justine Bateman's character, his sister, mm. because every punchline of every joke was just how she was. She was just reduced to a woman who liked to shop and she liked clothing. So what if she liked clothing, you know, like that is yeah. just, that's something that sh- women should never be ashamed or men too. You should never be ashamed to wanting to look nice or to have an interest in clothing. And yeah, I, 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 from, you know, I know for, I can't speak to you personally, but I know that for, you know, through the podcast, we've kind of created this reclamation. I know I have as like, there's no such thing as the bimbo who wants to shop because clothing mm-hmm. is for everybody. We all wear it. So why, why shouldn't we care about it? You know? Yeah, for sure. I, I think that we could do a whole season two episode on just sort of the identity of shopping and yes. how that's been portrayed through tropes, um, through film and media. Um, one of my favorite characters, Elle Woods from Legally Blonde, not horror at all, is I think a great example of that, but also a great reclamation. I think it's an amazingly genius feminist film. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think that that if you're, you know, it's I think that that summarizes sort of what we're kind of getting at here where shopping is not or or enjoying clothes uh, and and wanting to self-express and have really wearable art um, yeah. to tell your story or if you're doing a film tell a character's story is is a beautiful thing not at all a bad thing and uh, yeah that's definitely 
um, sort of a theme that we, uh, in general, sort of just want to get across. Yeah. Um, and yeah, reclaim it in a way where we can kind of, we can do whatever we want. <laughs> like it's not, and that, yeah. you know, it, it's that whole topic is also the reason, I think one of the reasons why costume design to this day is still not recognized as much by industry professionals, um, even though it's very much uh, its its own facet and uh, its own craft um, that does take a lot of hard work. And it's, it's not easy. It's very fun, but it's not easy. And it's not just, um, you know, something that I think a lot of the costume designers we've spoken with have echoed is that it's not just like shopping for fun and like you know whatever buy an expensive clothes and you know which you know if you want to do that also nothing to be ashamed of right um but that it is uh an honorable profession and, right. and deserves just as much respect as really any other profession does yeah absolutely a hundred percent and I will caveat that and say just be mindful when you shop we talked about this in our slacks episode yes. last April that just there is there is the horror the real life horror side to, to fashion and fast fashion and all this stuff mm-hmm. but um yeah yeah so Emma what was your favorite film of 2021 that you saw just so when you pick your favorite is it like because of the costuming or is it just story everything comes yeah, all together that's so when I was thinking about this I had a hard time because. Funnily enough, the films that I think would technically be my favorite, like Trademark Emma, like something very like art house, like surreal, like it should be Last Night in Soho or um, even like Malignant. I feel like it should be that or it should be, um, oh gosh, how is it actually pronounced? Titan, but also people are calling it not that. I think oh, it's like a I've been calling friend. it Titan. Well, I'll call it that, but oh, <laughs> so sorry to our, our French audience. Um, I feel like those would be the films that I'm supposed to say because I feel as though those are the films that I would technically love the most, but I didn't get a chance to see any of them. I don't know why. <laughs> so maybe those will make it into my 2020 new watches. But as far as 2021 releases, I think that the Fear Street trilogy um was the most memorable to me Mm -hmm. um there were some other great ones the i think the conjuring movie came out in 2021 it did i just like love that franchise so it was a fun one yeah like there's so many fun ones um but i didn't i didn't even see Candyman. haven't seen censor like Candyman was very good haven't seen jacob's wife like i as far as like 2021 releases almost all of them are blind spots for me um but I did see Fear Street. <laughs> okay. This is and why I'm having, like, my New Year's resolution was, like, keep to your letterbox, keep to the new releases. Because, yeah, I did a lot of problem. that, too. I, I was like, I'm going to watch Buffy again. And then I didn't watch anything new. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I really slacked on the letterbox game this past year. Watched a lot of old films. Not a That's lot good. of new ones. But I will redeem that this year. Fear Street was something that struck out to me as bringing up as one of my favorites of the past year, just because I think it speaks to culturally what we're interested in right now. I think that, you know, we talked a little bit more about this um, during our summer camp slashers episode. So if you want to kind of get more into this topic, um, definitely check that out. Um, but we've since stranger things been on a kick of nostalgia. And I think that it, it sh- really started to shape media and then, 
once the pandemic hit, I think that we all went even leaned even further into the nostalgia angle. Yeah. Um, and what's great about Fear Street is that it hits three different eras. Um, of course, the 1666 one, not as relatable. You're as- not as nostalgic for <laughs> Pilgrim, Massachusetts? I, <laughs> I don't know. I think I was brainwashed and I don't remember it. Um, <laughs> oh, I was probably burned, so it's fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's why we don't remember. Sorry. But uh, I think that it was a really fun exploration of nostalgia. And it stuck out to me as just kind of a fun watch um, as far as new releases. And I think it's something that when people think about the new releases of the past year, there were so many. Like when you look at it, there was, it was actually a fantastic year for new releases. Yeah, we, it was. we had Halloween kills. We had, you know, we had so many different things. But I think that Fear Street was the most like one of the most anticipated for sure. And one of the most memorable. And it didn't take itself too seriously. And I think that with the sort of um, sort of impending release of uh, Scream 5 last year, it definitely echoed a lot of that same sort of uh, callbacks to old movies and uh, classic horror tropes. And I think that that was really fun. I mentioned in our episode um, about Summer Camp Slashers, we talked more about um, 78, is it? 1978. Yes. Um, we talked about that one a little bit more and how I was a little frustrated with the costuming only because it just like, I mean, it wasn't awful. And I did like how the sisters had um, like their, they had like kind of a parallel with their striped tops and they both yeah. had kind of like different styles with the striped tops. I thought that was really fun. Um, and there were some good elements to it. I think mostly now that I'm thinking about it again, it's not that it felt inaccurate, which I think I had mentioned then. And I do still feel that a little bit. But I think that it is more that everything felt too clean and they were at camp. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> um, but then again, I think that this took more of a live action cartoon angle to their characters, like very much within their tropes and, uh, you know, something that you can see in uh a movie I rewatched recently, which is the Scooby Doo live action movies. Um, again, that's a whole different episode, but yeah, um, <laughs> you could see that they those characters stuck out because um, not only were they they were they were very much bright and clean, like they didn't feel they felt almost not of the world, but on yeah. purpose. And I feel like Fear Street did take that approach a little bit. Sixteen sixty six, they got a little more aged, um, which makes sense but i do think that it would have also made sense in 78 um but the 90s one was my favorite as far as costuming and i really liked um that first costume that um the girl was wearing in the mall oh yeah her store when she was on the phone i thought that that was actually a very cute outfit that was yeah (laughs) i now i've never read any of the actually i never read any of the goosebumps books growing up and i think i completely missed the fear street books um i just remember slappy the dummy that was that was the only thing I remember from the Goosebumps era of oh, life. Yes. And the um and when Disney opened up the Goosebumps land, I was there. I was like five or six at the time when they opened it up. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember too much about it because I was only there for like a year. But my like my mother did a a camcorder recording of of the show because oh, I was cute. intrigued by it. And it was like the evil hamster and Slappy the dummy and like something else in a cage. Anyway, that was a weird tangent, but <laughs> yeah. So I feel like because they're like they're storybook characters, maybe that's where you're getting that like cartoony exactly element of, of a, it, and also just that the 
Goosebumps series and most of um, you know the work of R.L. Stein and the TV and film adaptions do kind of take that angle to it. Yeah, um, they're all kind of clean. Yeah, you know, I, well, and Fear Street, even though it was, um, I think, was it rated R? Um, oh, I know that it? it there was a there was something about it being um, not just for children, <laughs> oh. um, and so it was kind of fun to see the design of the film maintain that sort of childlike design that feels nostalgia to us, but that it was made for the grown up audience, basically of Goosebumps. Yeah, um, and so I think that it was really fun, and for that, um, you know, it 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 gets a spot on my favorites list. Something that is, I wasn't sure if I wanted to. Um, mention this just because i feel that it's much less horror but also very much definitely horror was suicide squad which was my favorite release of the year okay (laughs) um and uh obviously the horror elements come from james gunn and there's lots of gore and blood it's not a horror film um but i did just want to give a shout out to that film because i thought that uh again that's actually very much the same thing uh so obviously there's a theme going for me of Car- like cartoon or right, storybook yeah kind of live action adaptions um and i thought it was really well done the polka dot man is like the best costume of the year <laughs> i i actually really like the newer suicide squad i'm not a huge comic book person but i did mm-hmm. see the really terrible one that nobody talks about in 2016 that was a lot yeah <laughs> and then i did see this one too um and i definitely like this one better i appreciate yeah. that they are giving Mar- Margot Robbie a lot to do because I think she's yes, great. and so, they changed her design back to the original Harley did. Quinn design, which I think looks a lot better. Oh, um, at so least, much better. and for this film, the way they they had shifted the angle, um, yeah. But I liked it. They they felt like classic cartoon villains. And, yes, um, they did. They're they cute. they played the part, uh, and and I was I was just really happy with it. Um, yeah, and so that was a great one. And then, uh, but just to mention the designer actually of Fear Street. Wanted to make sure I didn't forget to give her a shout out. Yes. Amanda Ford um, was the designer of Fear Street. She actually also does a lot of production designs. She kind of flips back and forth between the two. I think costume design is her main, uh, her mainstay. Um, but she did do a show called Lily Hammer where she was not only costume designing, but also production designing. That's awesome. Um, and so, yeah, that was really cool. And I think that like taking on not only just a period piece, but three period pieces is really quite a task and especially in horror it's not easy to use vintage pieces no um and you know on the level in which i've made like short films that are like vintage period piece horror it's it's a little well it's it's harder because we have a smaller budget but also easier because there's usually less people because it's like a short when you're taking on three features it's kind of nuts yeah. Um, and so I can only imagine that she had to find a lot of clothes that looked period accurate or felt of the era and also felt youthful and kind of uh, that sort of childlike R.L. Stein vibe, but also something that you can get multiples of and destroy them. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that's uh, definitely kudos to her for making that happen because that's, that's a hard feat. And then Kate Hawley is the costume designer of Suicide Squad. So just wanted to give a shout out to her as well um and she took a lot of inspiration from uh like courtney love and debbie harry and punk inspired stuff for suicide squad especially margot robbie's look yeah um and so just want to give a quick shout out to her because she's also very cool she's from new zealand and she's been nominated for costume designers guild award for period films and uh 
I'm not sure what the period film was that she was nominated for, but a period film. So shout out to all of our period costume designers because it is not easy out here. Uh-uh. Nope. <laughs> and uh, I don't know if you – I keep up with the, the C – DG, the Costume Designers Guild. Um, yeah. It's an aspiration. Maybe one day I'll be a part Maybe of it. Maybe one day. <laughs> Maybe they but, want to sponsor our podcast. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was reading that um, when they put the ballots out, so period is now anything. Oh, God. And, and when they up the years, it just, um, God, it makes me feel so old because it's anything 25 years uh, past, like, today's date. So anything... 1990 like six and later and to me my brain is still like 10 years ago were the 90s and i know that that's not correct anymore because it's 2022 Mm -hmm. but it feels wrong doesn't it (laughs) it, oh god it feels so wrong but yeah and i'm 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 like a mid-millennial like i'm not like an elder millennial but like i don't know like i i guess 90s culture was so ingrained in in how Mm -hmm. i grew up in the mid 2000s that yeah yeah it's crazy but yeah so so 96 and beyond anything 96 and later is a period film so that's crazy to me (laughs) that is crazy and something that i think we should totally talk about in season two even more is sort of the y2k thing that's happening right now like there was a like there's like a 90s cyber thing that sort of started in like 2016, I feel like. But now it's developed to like 2006 to 9, which and and even maybe like 2011. And now potentially we're going to go even further into the 2010s. And I'm like, <sighs> it's like encroaching upon us. And it's so it's so weird even to be able to like identify things from like. 2014 that were uniquely 2014 like that's yeah kind of fucking with my head like i just remembered um today i don't even know why the thing where like pop stars and also like it was on prom dresses too there was, like, <laughs> i saw a your moment tweet of, like bejeweled like like <laughs> bustiers or something like do you remember that like yeah what was going on with that i don't know i <laughs> Oh, God. I remember – I did not partake in that. I remember several girls that I went to prom with had the – so I graduated in 2011. So the the big prom trend was like the side cutouts in the -hmm. dresses and then the jeweled neck to like under bust around the cutout was like the thing it was like all these bejeweling yeah qualities i don't know yeah i, I was never a bejeweler I'm, i don't think like, i'll ever be a bejeweler it was like the the elevation of the 2010s like yeah. denim like bustier thing with like the american <laughs> apparel hot pants which like i was i felt one too young and like not hot enough then to pull that <laughs> off but maybe now's my moment for like to really hop on the indie sleaze train. But anyways, very back. weird how time is passing. Yeah, it <laughs> and is. And what's considered like period and being able to identify stuff from what feels yeah. like really not that long ago. No. I, yeah, I'm still waiting for those Hollister baby doll tops to come back. I liked those. And I got rid of mine. And now I kind of regret getting rid of them. I'm very much intrigued <laughs> with like, I was never, I never got into like the Aeropostale thing. But okay. I am intrigued with, um like shrunken tees coming back oh god yeah mostly in like a carrie bradshaw way or like um i forget what it might have been like dior 2006 galliano era where they had like really like bright graphic shrunken tees with like really silly logos yes all over it like, that were paper thin oh yes very thin and unwearable but i would like to try yeah <laughs> 
Yeah. Gosh. That was a time. That was really a time. Um, But tell me a little bit about your favorite new watch. Not new watch, but new release of 2021 specifically. Yeah. So my favorite, because I love love weird movies. Um, I really love that for you. Lamb. Lamb was Mm -hmm. amazing. Um, It is. It is definitely so. Like you have your brand. It's definitely living in my world of the cozy cable knit sweaters, rain boots, like farm cottage chic. Because you know they're farmers. These this couple in the movie. Um, it was designed by, and I got the correct pronunciation from my best friend who's Norwegian. That it's Margaret. Einer's daughter. So she said that daughter literally means daughter and sounds a lot like daughter. Um, so she's saying that her dad's surname was probably Inar, making her mm. last name Inos, Inar's daughter. And then she was saying that if she has brothers, that they might have a different last name, which I thought was interesting. So Norwegian, Icelandic, um, you know, l- language lesson for you all. But yes, so Lamb. I It was not what I was expecting uh, as far as story-wise. Have you seen it? yet i haven't it's one of those okay. films that i like know i'm gonna be like wow show-stopping amazing that i simply have not watched yet really had a weird moment for me in 2010 okay. where i'm like what was i watching just cutthroat kitchen <laughs> no you're good <laughs> um so i won't spoil too much if you haven't seen it yet but it's really good and it's it's an a24 film i i really appreciate the canon of a24 films that they are releasing not just horror just all of their films are very yeah. unique Really, um, really love A24 right now. Yeah, they they really know how to pick very dynamic filmmakers and promote that sort of work. And they also do really interesting merchandise through their own shop. They have a collection of genre candles. I have the sci-fi one. It's pretty amazing. Um, I think they still have them on their website, so don't quote me on that. But I know that they did at one point still have like we're restocking them, but um, yes. yeah, I love Lamb, unique merch. Yeah, so Lamb was really good, and I I just really love. I talk about this all the time, but I really love texture, and there was a lot mm-hmm. of texture in this. They're on the Icelandic countryside. There's a lot of greens, a lot of blues, a lot of water and grassy fields, and then there's you know the, there's cable nets, there's light florals, and I am I'm really I love. Um, like chunky boots with light dresses, like mm. work boots with light dresses. I think that's a really nice, like a cottage core look. Like I'm very much about that. That's my very much my personal style too. Also, baby Ada is the freaking cutest thing ever. And I want one. And I know A24 did a contest a while back where they were giving away like, you know, like an 18 inch baby Ada doll, but oh you, had sub- you had to you had to submit so a video. It was really cute. <laughs> I don't really like make videos because to, to do contests because I feel weird. I feel like I, I'm not very good at them. So <laughs> I was like, just I, I would write an essay, but no, they wanted a video. So, but I still I still want a baby Ada. She's so cute. One day. She's got it's a little human hand, and then she has a little hoof, and then her face is a lamb, but her body is a toddler, and it's really cute. <laughs> that sounds so terrifying and also amazing. It is. It's um, it's very strange, but it's very much a film about um trauma and um like maternal trauma of you know mm-hmm. this was she's lost her child and now she's using ada as like a replacement to her child but they don't really know where she came from and why she is the way that she is and yeah it's very 
It was very good. And, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, that sounds – I can already imagine the texture and the yeah. use of that, especially when you're in um, – because from I've, I've seen the trailer and I've seen stills and stuff and the kind of farmscape that they're in. When you're doing a film in the outdoors in general, um, yeah. you have – some texture to work with in the landscape but mostly the composition of a shot is going to be focused on the textures of the costume design yeah um, and so kind of mixes of like soft chunky knits or or like a rough kind of tweed or or kind of you know like the gosh what's that material called you know like the og jason head with like the little sack oh the burlap burlap thank you that's the yeah. word um, you know, like something with like burlap, I feel like in nature looks really good. And yeah, there's a lot of flannels. Of there was yeah. like wool knits because they were sheep farmers, so they had a lot of wool knits. Um, a lot of there's there was some denim, not a lot of denim. And mm-hmm. then when the I, I I don't even want to attempt to pronounce any of the characters' names because they're very Icelandic. <laughs> um, but the husband's brother then comes into their farm, just pretty early on in the film um and he is part of this dynamic of of just the husband and the wife that live on this secluded farm Mm -hmm. but he comes in from the city and he's very different from the two of them so he's got a leather jacket he's got his jeans on he's got his you know doc martin boots on and he's very rough and gruff and and slick and Mm -hmm. and he's quite in contrast to his brother and his brother's wife yeah that sounds good it sounds like um that is a great example of amplifying the story um through costume design is yeah how can you contrast your characters and sometimes we see that in a very like campy way where like in a film there'll be like one character is wearing one color the other one's wearing another color i actually think euphoria is doing that really well right now um with like maddie and cassie if you watch euphoria um you can really see some interesting costume design um contrast um through them but then you can do it on a much uh subtler um more realistic level versus sort of a, a daydream kind of way um and I, that sounds kind of like what lamb is doing where where they yeah. contrast it in a way that is so subtle but noticeable whether it's through um a texture or a motif or a silhouette um but it still feels very much of the world versus like this hallucinogenic version of your, yeah. yourself or something i will say the overall tone of of the film is very dreamlike. It's very, um, I don't want to say gray because it's not gray in the sense that it's dull, but there's a lot of fog. There's a lot of, um, blue sky, but then there's like clouds because they're Mm. outside a lot. And, um, it's very elemental with nature, which is really lovely about it. So, yeah. So a lot of, so it's really simple in, every like set costume devices that they're using and it works it's very effective Mm -hmm. so i feel like your style as far as like your taste in costume design really aligns with recent a24 yeah like obviously midsummer like i know you're a midsummer girl (laughs) i have my midsummer tarot card behind me oh my goodness (laughs) i knew it i knew you're just that's the vibe for you yeah um but it also is something that I think A24, like the films that they're going with are really exploring. Yeah. Um, sort of a similar thread of um, either folklore or faux folklore and and uh, exploring the costume design in a way that feels, I mean, Midsommar, I feel like does go from what feels like maybe realism in this, in this world to like absolutely yeah. um, 
I mean, the flower dress is unreal. But yeah, I'm really intrigued to check out Lamb. It sounds like not only an interesting film, but a lot of uh, fun textures that they play with through the costume design. Yeah, yeah. And I also want to honorably mention Candyman because it has taken a while for, I mean, when, when you're in the horror genre and you watch a lot of horror movies, sometimes you don't always get scared. And that's okay because, you know, mm-hmm. I, I watch them for the story. But um, George and I watched that and we actually legitimately got creeped out at parts of it. We were like, ooh, this is good. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I really, really need to see Candyman finally. It's one of those things where I've just been like avoiding it like a hawk on social media. Where I'm like, yeah. I just need to find my time to watch it um, in the dark in my room alone uh, to kind of see how it plays out. But I've seen stills from it. It looks phenomenal. It is. Yeah. Nia DaCosta did such an incredible job uh, with the She's whole She's just film. a badass. Yeah. And She's so um, cool. The costume designer. Oh, gosh. What's their name? Um, I'm big back through my notes, but um, they're also nominated for a Chainsaw Award. Yes, with, yeah, along with Elon. So, yeah, I, I, the color in that film is really good too. So I can see why they're nominated. It's very like, mm-hmm. uh, unlike Lamb, that's kind of dreamy. This one's really like stark and pungent, and it's yeah. very, very crisp because right. it's an urban landscape. It's dealing with mirrors, and if a mirror isn't crisp, then you're not going to see you know reflections and stuff in it. So, right, yeah. Well, that's also something to mention as well as far as the impact that – or the shift, rather, that we've seen in the um, the viewership of costume design as a reputable department is that the Chainsaw Awards are honoring costume design this year. Yeah, and this is um, the first year that they're doing this. Yeah, and that's that's a big deal. Um, yeah. You know, it, it's not – not every awards ceremony honors costume design at all, and it's very, very cool that um, the Pangoria Chainsaw Awards are doing it this year. Um, and I and I hope that we get to see um, sort of that trickle into um, the zeitgeist, per se, in the horror space and also um, the film landscape in general. And I, and I think it will. I think people will follow suit. I, I feel really good about it. And it's just so exciting. Yeah, I think so, too, especially if, if any anybody follows um, Phil Noble Jr. on Twitter or Instagram, you can see that he really does care about clothing he's a he's a big bond fan and he he was reading a a book about the suits of bond and all of this stuff so he he's he's aware of what's happening we love phil we love phil at today (laughs) (laughs) yes i especially love phil at today (laughs) (laughs) yeah so yeah so um now we also talked about uh grabbing some films that we are not new for 2021 but new to us this year so what was your new to you in 2021 so this film that i wanted to talk about um it was kind of like a partial rewatch but i kind of consider it my first time watching it because when i watched it it was like i fell asleep and i was also like 16 and didn't really (laughs) grasp it um but uh it is now Certainly one of my favorite films. Um, I wanted to talk about Phantom of the Paradise, 1974. And it's a De Palma film. Uh, at the time, De Palma wasn't even really that well known. Really, really cool to see how this like rock opera horror panned out. Um, I think that the script I'm writing now is very derivative of this kind of angle to horror. Mm-hmm. 
um it kind of felt like an american giallo in a way jessica harper actually was in it as well before she was in suspiria and she wasn't even well known at the time too and i think that this film was really a point of reference for so many things it came out for rocky horror as well and i find that rocky horror feels really derivative of phantom of the paradise something else i noticed that i thought was kind of fun i mean the whole film in general super glam rock inspired um which is just one of my favorite styles ever i love glam rock i think it's so so cool and also just favorite eras of music as well one of the the band so there's this band that sort of like shifts from like sort of a sickly sweet you know like 50s inspired band at the beginning um, and then by the end, they're called like the undead and they're the undeads. And they're really, um, they're supposed to be kind of like more like glam rock, maybe even a little more like hair metal, early, very early <laughs> hair metal sort of inspired. Um, and they have this makeup that's kind of looks like the makeup that um, Kiss wore, but Kiss was also not that popular in 74 compared to no, not yet. Yeah. Um, um- and so. They were they were like getting there, like seventy five. They were getting there, yeah. yeah. It was like right at that cusp, and so it was kind of cool to see that. I'm curious. I mean, it feels very derivative of Kiss, and so I would imagine that De Palma or the makeup department did see that makeup and want to sort of explore that. But on that topic, actually, the Kiss makeup was inspired by this girl band uh, that Pamela DeBars was in. Um, called the GTOs and they were like kind of kiss groupies and they did that makeup for their band and then kiss just sort of like did it um and so I always like whenever I bring up kiss I like to mention that um, yeah. it was not just Kiss's idea it was actually this cool girl band that inspired that makeup but yeah Phantom of the Paradise is an amazing glam rock opera horror and the costume designer Rosanna Norton I swear has costume designed everything <laughs> under the moon um uh, she was actually nominated for best costumes during the 55th academy awards uh for her work on tron um and she's also known for the live action flintstones and the live action brady bunch so that's really fun speaking of you know live action cartoons or cartoonesque characters but she also massive in horror she did carrie um oh, also okay. that makes sense to yeah, yeah. And so there's that connection. Um, they were, I mean, they probably filmed these, gosh, relatively close together. Um, but yeah, she did Carrie, which is amazing. Um, I love the costume design in Carrie. And she did Gremlins too. She also did Barbed Wire later on with um, Pamela Anderson. Oh, awesome. Um, she's had this wide range of work. Uh, she worked on Messiah of Evil. When I looked at the credits for Messiah of Evil, um, which is a great kind of like art house pseudo giallo film and uh it's really stylish and cool um has some really great shots um but uh it says that she worked in the wardrobe department and uh but there's no costume designer credit and so it says just Hmm. wardrobe it's one of those like generalized but i'm like you can infer that she was a costume designer right um and then just as far as the legacy of this film, not only sort of most likely inspiring Rocky Horror, Daft Punk was actually inspired by this bird helmet that the main character in Phantom of the Paradise wears for their sort of helmet look. Yeah. Um, and so that's really cool. But yeah, it's just like bright and loud and like a funny live action comic book. Really, it feels like that. Um, and it's, it's kind of the satire of the music business, which is something that I'm kind of exploring with 
um, script for Penny and the Poppies is kind of a satirical um, landscape of the music business, especially at that time in like the early 70s, late 60s. Um, but yeah, this is just like such a cool head-on collision between like Phantom of the Opera and early 70s glam. It's it's just so fun and cool and ahead of its time. And it's just over the top. It's outrageous. It's really glittery, um, which is, of course, <laughs> like a glam rock um, yeah. staple. Um, and it plays with tropes in a really humorous way while also maintaining this really cool exploration of glam rock fashion and sort of um, uh, uh, what's the word? Amplification, really. Mm. of kind of doing glam glam rock but yeah the characters are just so melodramatic they're intoxicated by this stardom and rosanna norton has this such a imagination and the costumes were so eye-popping and shows this you know fantasy of identity creation um that i think was really interesting and and each film served as or not each film (laughs) each costume served as um an example of identity and sort of a, a humorous look on it. And so, yeah, it, it's just such a fun watch. Um, and it's so unique. I honestly think it's still underrated and I haven't seen anything like it really. Um, it's, it's just, a, I think music, the culture of musicians were looked upon as sometimes rather obnoxious or toxic at the time. I, I think that exploring that through film uh, is a really fun kind of thing to do and i think through the horror medium and also taking an edge of humor and satire is sort of the perfect way to approach something like that Um, right because you're you're not being too serious about it but you are saying something and so especially coming out at the time where that was super prevalent within the culture um and the kind of the rock star per se was sort of taking on this new shape um it was very current and a great way to kind of explore that and so um, it just combined so many things that I loved. Yeah, I'm just I'm just so inspired by it and was really happy to learn about uh, Rosanna's wide range of um, costume design that she's done because when I actually look at it, I've loved everything that she's done <laughs> as far as costuming. I mean, her work on the live action Brady Bunch um, in the 90s, I say live action like it was in the show, like an animated. Oh, like the, the spoof but sequel? She, yeah. Yeah, she, she did the spoof. I love that costume design. I thought that I, actually nailed the period accuracy. Yeah, I, those were actually some of my favorite movies growing up were those spoof Brady Bunch movies. They're so fun. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, she just has such um, she brings such a humor and a lightness, I think, to her costume design. And you can kind of see that with the films that she's done. Um, yeah. She's explored that through a lot of films that are very different, but have that same kind of um, angle of uh, really stark um, identity exploration. Um, yeah, leaning towards more of the the camp and the obvious versus the subtle. I think, but she does it in a way that feels natural, and I think that's really cool. Like she mm. keys into the film, you know, yeah, or whatever she's working on. Yeah, I know. I'm so surprised that it's been on my list. And Jen and I talked about it when we did our stage to screen episode about like horror movie musicals, and I haven't I haven't watched it yet, and I'm. I'm surprised that I haven't because I'm really into those like glam rock musicals of the You'd time. Love it. I like I love Tommy. I think because everybody was yes, kind of doing a one concept. One of my favorites. Yeah, like all these bands were doing concept albums at the time, and like I think late '60s, early '70s rock is like the perfect epitome of what rock and roll music is. Mm-hmm. I don't. There's I totally no. Agree. 
I personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. I think all of it is so good. And it, it was like so good. And then we will never get back there again, yes. which is fine. But yeah, so I like, I love Tommy. I love Rocky Horror, um, which like was also uh, on stage at the same time. So they were probably drawing from each other, fandom and, and Rocky, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I have to I will add this one to my list. Yes. Um, I'm so glad that you mentioned Tommy because I love um, Tommy. At, Tommy's amazing. Ken Russell's my favorite director. Um, and it reminded me that something I was gonna mention was um the character, I think his name is Swan. The character's Swan, I think that basically the the evil music producer slash like head of death records, like he's just this campy character and, and they they kind of make him look like a, a what you would imagine a kind of sleazy producer would look like in the early 70s and they do it so well but it reminded yeah. me a lot of um the devils which is one of my other favorite films and ken russell films um where uh, and that was i think that, that came up before tommy i think that was like 70 like one or two or maybe even just 1970 yeah uh, but in that film there's a character and that's like a surreal like 17th century or period piece um but the costumes are just like insane and again that's like also a whole other episode but i did want to mention this one character um in the devils who is kind of this like witcher type priest character and he wears this like he has kind of the long sort of shoulder length rock star dude hair um his name's father bar and he I love that. <laughs> and he wears these like little like purple sheer circular John Lennon like glasses and so he looks like this 17th century um you know father but at the same time he's kind of Ken Russell really derived a lot of the look um or rather his wife who did the costume design for him um they kind of derived this look from that glam rock yes. era and again Ken Russell obviously directly inspired by glam rock because he worked with the who on on Tommy um, yeah. And so I think that Ken Russell really is probably the one of the first points of reference for these kind of glam rock opera films. And you could see a lot of that influence in, um, I was going to say Phantom of the Opera, Phantom of the Paradise in, um, in 74. And yeah, I think you'd love it. All right. Now I just need to like buckle down and watch it because <laughs> I know I, I keep thinking, <laughs> I know. Yeah. So Yeah. My choice was a little bit later than that, but um, I don't know why it took me so long to watch this movie, but I finally watched The People Under the Stairs. Yes. It is so good. So it was costume designed by Eileen um, Meltzer, another Wes Craven movie, and not enough people talk about this movie. I know that there is conversation around this one. It's not so lost like Phantom of the Paradise is, which is which is very niche. Um but yeah, I really, really enjoyed this film a lot. I think Wes Craven is, I mean, he's an incredible storyteller. Yeah. We all knew this. And he has consistently been, you know, on it for pretty much, what, 70s, 80s, 90s, and 2000s. So he, he's, he has like five decades of work almost. And like um, great work. At the- yeah. Consistently great work, right, under his belt. And um yeah, I, I really liked this. This is this is in 1991, so it's not period. It's modern. Um, the older couple who own 
the house where the people are being kept under the stairs are uh, the couple from Twin Peaks. So the woman who wears the oh, eye patch oh and, the, and, the, and her husband. So they're in this movie together, which is pretty great. And I thought it was a really, no, obviously I'm, you know, I'm not a person of color, but I, I thought that it was a really great representation as far as for people of color, because you have, the, you know, this little boy, he's a, um, he's a little black boy who's the protagonist of the film who breaks into this house um, with somebody from his neighborhood to steal this gold. They're looking for treasure. And through that, the older guy gets killed and the boy gets trapped in the house. And now he's um, he realizes that their daughter is being kept in the house, kind of Rapunzel style against her will. And there are other children who live in the basement who are operating through the house, through the walls. And the parents are very abusive and uh, are keeping them as animals almost. I mean, because they want the perfect child and they don't realize that that doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. So every time a child rebels, they punish them and they put them downstairs and all this stuff. And it's a really, really interesting film. And um, the I always forget her name, but she's in the... Dream Child, Nightmare on Elm Street. She's the girl who is the friend of Alice, Alice's character. She's in this film. She's the older sister to the little boy. Um, so it makes sense because she's worked with Wes Craven before. Oh, no, Wes Craven didn't work on the other Nightmares, but it's the mm. Wes Craven franchise. But um, yeah, I thought that the, I mean, the costuming is really realistic. There's a lot of great texture. There's a lot of, when you get into the home, older like much older than the 90s clothing like these things like the little girls dresses are really roughly yeah roughly little girl dresses like these were hand-me-downs um a lot of aging and dying was done in this film because a lot of these kids are dirty uh yeah it was i really liked it it's it's really clever and i think it's you know in this canon of uh yeah slowly becoming one of my favorites i really i really enjoyed it yeah and you know i love um What's that actress's name? Is it Mary Mary Robel? Who's doesn't she play the woman in this? Where she's wearing like like the redhead and she has these like um like floral blouses that look very like of the early nineties. Yes, <laughs> it's like the shoulder yeah. pad. I feel like this film has such a diverse range of costumes. It and does diverse yeah. range of styles, um, and they don't they feel very tropey while at the same time feeling kind of bridges this gap of like realism and, and trophy yeah. in a sense. Um, and it's, it's, I think really masterful in that sense. Cause that's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you have, you know, the community of lower income families and then you have this really rich family. So you have these different economic dynamics and that really reflects through the clothing. Although, I mean, like, yeah. I mean, I will say like the, the lower income families are not, you know, living in rags but they're not their colors aren't as bright they're right it's the subtleties yeah that can kind of show class right um and and doing that in a way because i mean you could go really camp with that to the point of being offensive right um which is a questionable choice but doing it in a way that is one not offensive but also showcases class um in a way that can be visually seen through the design is i think what it's an important skill to have as a designer is being able to sort of um, portray characters um, from different backgrounds um, yeah. while also matching the same tone and style of the film so you have these characters that are coming from wildly different styles but then you have this overarching theme um, 
or, or tone or even color palette that you want to kind of mesh together. And so that's kind of the great puzzle of costume design, isn't it? Of like, yeah, being able to um, do that. And I, I think this is a great example of doing it well. Yeah, absolutely. And it feels like I feel like the late 80s, early 90s was a time of kind of coming back to found eclectic pieces because you totally. have movies like Pretty in Pink where she's making her own clothing at the end of, you know, the mid end of 80s where um, it's very avant-garde. Then you have something like The Lost Boys, which is one of my favorite films, but like, you know, Star and Laddie and Michael, they all have these like thrifted found pieces. And this isn't as uh, exaggerated as The Lost Boys, but it still felt in that world of like found, thrifted, avant-garde pieces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And and that's what I kind of love about the 90s. And that also why it's very interesting to see the interpretations that we've seen over the past 10 years of 90s style, because in reality, 90s style was so eclectic. That's when people really started to thrift um and before thrifting was kind of in vogue right and became like curated through things like depop which is you know an interesting cultural phenomenon right now of like like i i I feel like i remember when thrift stores weren't really picked through and i was shopping there because i didn't have all the money in the world to go out to um you know a department store or something yeah now it's like the thrift stores are are just like torn through and then hiked up prices are going on depop and it's just interesting to see how 90s style has been such a point of reference for that, like, cultural yeah. phenomenon. Um, but in the 90s, it came from – it wasn't referencing really anything. Right. Um, and it felt quite genuinely eclectic in a way where now we're kind of looking at – fashion is looking back at the tropes of a decade um, or, or specific items that, mm-hmm. um, you know, translate to being stylish now and are sort of uh, – uh, just kind of taking pieces of, of a decade that, and that's, it's interesting to take pieces of a decade that was so eclectic. It's, yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to kind of think about. Yeah. Especially because we, I mean, we talked, we've spoken on this before just briefly how like since the seventies, there was this individualism that came about in fashion that we didn't have before where yeah before it was, you had like one or two kinds of looks that you could prescribe to, but as a whole, it was like, you know, you you were going to work outfit and this was your going out looks and these were your, you know, casual looks. But really in the 70s, it starts to become very individualized with, you know, you had punk and you had glam rock and you had beatniks and you had, you know, the art students and, and all of these different subcategories of people and that you weren't getting before. And that just kind of evolved in the 80s. And it definitely, I mean, it's still carrying through today, but a lot of those foundations were really set in 70s, 80s into the early 90s. I would think that it was a little bit more secure, but now we have all this individualism. So you're seeing it more prominently displayed in these types of movies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, yeah, I'm really excited to sort of, I don't know. I, I think that recently I've been very fascinated with digging into what is so appealing about the 90s and even especially like the 2000s and like late 2000s right now like very intriguing to me um and also again that's what's great about fashion histories is that there's kind of always something new to sort of dive into um and i don't know it's 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 interesting recently i was like looking at um like dior 2000 and like through 2006 shows and i was like 
noticing just for myself, like, what do I think is objectively a very ugly outfit? And what do I think is like a really cool piece? And how does what's culturally trendy influence how I view things? Um, And I don't know, fashion is just so interesting in that way, because it's such an internal thing that can be so greatly influenced by the external um, zeitgeist and also the past, probably more than most trends. Um, And so it's just always cool to explore that. Um, But I just would love to know, did you have any favorite moments of our first year? We, Mm. you know, because we have all these things that we're like, oh my gosh, this is so fascinating that of course, don't worry, we'll explore it all in season two. But just to kind of take a moment to reflect on season one, like what are your thoughts in general on, you know, our, our whole first year, our little shebang? Um, well, I, yeah, we did, we covered a lot this year too. We did, we did. Super amazing. And I feel like, um, we really found our voices as historians as well, which is really refreshing. Totally. Um, a good workflow of research and like being able to kind of engage in that discourse. Yeah. I mean, I, I learned a lot from you specifically too, just about the queer lens and queer horror and looking at these things from different perspectives in a way. And it has changed my perspective on how I view films now. If there's like a hinting of, of queer coding, mm-hmm. then I feel like my brain picks up on it now. And I'm like, oh, okay. So this is how it's, you know, like how people disguise certain things and whatnot. Um, I don't know if I have a favorite episode of ours, but I really, I really loved, well, I think anytime we tackled a black and white film, I have to give us credit because there was no color and there's no hard. <laughs> accurate colorized photos. So we were yeah. just going off of trends and like what we know from these eras. So yeah, I, I, I loved it all. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I, I, I agree. The black and white episodes are kind of hard. And what I love about our podcast is that sometimes we can dip further into the costume design angle and sometimes we'll dip into yeah like the horror like angle I mean it's all analysis and just kind of general discourse but it's it's cool to kind of be able to dip into both sides a little bit and and stretch both sides of our brains um you know because the left side of my brain is costume design and the right side of my brain is horror and that's just what makes up my brain yeah the black and white ones were hard I think a good example of like doing that was um our I mean gosh how many did we do we did our Hitchcock we did a few yeah um the Hitchcock episode was pretty cool because I feel like there was a lot of interesting history around women and Hitchcock in general and so we were able to kind of cover that and you know spotlight the women that influenced these films so much which bled into how their costume design sort of identified them as characters um yeah and then more recently we did our cat people episode with Kay Lynch and that one was so fun. And I think that that was such an amalgamation of like, I don't know, topics that we've talked about. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that I think your angles have sort of influenced me on is noticing texture more. Like <laughs> I know we already talked about it literally in this episode, but yeah. <laughs> um, it's so fascinating to me now to like think about that more. Mm-hmm. Um and also, I find that you're you will have the most fascinating readings on design. Like, thank you. Where, like, I remember when you what uh, one of your readings in our Cat People episode was just like oh, yeah. so iconic, and it was like a queer coded reading, and we were just like, "Yes, oh my god, that's genius!" <laughs> I was never like, thought about that. Oh, it was the seahorses. I was like, "That yes. was really deep," but I was like, "I'm gonna go for it." <laughs> 
Well, I think that's what's fun about what we do and what we talk about is that we can scratch the surface and then we can explore the kind of depths underneath and the layers and ways to look at something. I mean, it's that's, again, like something that amplifies the plot of a story. Um, and just being able to do that has been so fun. Um, I think when we did our queer, like two-part queer horror episodes, we kind of went through history. That was cool because that was like such an ordeal that we yeah. did. Like to, I mean, it was so much, we covered so many films and yet we we went relatively deep on a lot of topics. Um, yeah, we did. I love being able to do episodes where we, um, when we kind of dip more into like the culture of the time and how the culture affects the film, which affects the design and how it's all this kind of, you know, cycle of life, you know, fashion and, and culture influence each other and film sort of interprets it. And it's this. Yeah triangulation of sorts and i love when we're able to kind of hit all of those points and yeah i think the slacks episode that we did was maybe the first time i felt um like we had really found our flow like yeah that was a good that one. one specifically just as like i think we both sort of got comfortable in our i don't know the way the way that we uh spoke and and just kind of our discourse and we had like this really good flow and so i, I think from there we were able to really um you know, it, we felt we could dive in further to topics because we found our voice in the podcast. Like we were able yes. to sort of um, like we had the flow. And then once we had that sort of structure um, that felt natural to us, we could apply that structure to, um, you know, deeper topics um, yeah. and going, you know, more specific. But yeah, I, I just love that we found this really interesting variety that we can, you know, we're going to hone in on in season two. Like we've been able to have this year of exploration with the podcast where we've really keyed in on what topics we want to hit and the way in which we structure our episodes and having kind of a natural flow and doing a little bit of the analysis but also doing a little bit of the history and kind of finding that balance and so I'm yeah. just so excited to keep doing that. Me too and I will say our most listened to episode is still the gruesome for someone. That one still consistently gets it was like, iconic yeah like it, it and it, it's I'm so like, funny so I'm I'm like a, I'm so happy and like a little shocked because that was our first major episode and yeah. that was pretty long so the fact that people want to sit there for it was almost two hours I think like it should have been a two-parter objectively yeah. but it was our first episode so we were, we were like, like let's we'll just do it one <laughs> yeah so yeah I'm excited to keep exploring with you and to keep reading and I love reading so I'm I'm so excited to to get more people on, but then just to like sit, uh, like I love our guests, but I also just love exploring with you as well totally. because we speak the same language. Not that our yeah. guests don't. I mean, our guests are super engaged in what we have to say as well. But um, yeah, I think because you and I are so on on the same page that it's really nice to explore those. And maybe like in season two, maybe we'll do like some horror adjacent as well as horror because I think costuming can encompass a lot of those things i mean we're not gonna yeah. like dive into like rom-coms or like a shakespeare or whatever um i mean maybe unless it's Macbeth, but <laughs> no rom-coms allowed though <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah i'm i'm very excited and maybe there will be extraneous things like if we can get our shit together maybe there would be merch or, or patreons or something merch. if we can like, figure out how, to, how these things work <laughs> yeah you know, yeah. I think that that's something I'm kind of looking forward to season two because 
you know, usually after our podcast episodes, if we have time, we usually just like keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I do feel like if we didn't do the podcast, we probably would just like FaceTime every week and like talk yeah. about this stuff because like you said, like we do speak the same language and we've become such good friends, which makes my heart so warm. And I would love to just move to New York and live under your rugs. <laughs> um, please, please do. I'm, this is the year. Um, but yeah, we, we have some fun ideas cooking um, that, you know, after we, we just kind of, I think being creative minded, um, want to sort of bring some more creativity to the podcast, um, yeah. maybe even outside of our episodes. And so we've been kind of cooking up ideas um, that we, we are hoping to share with you. Um, and I'm, I'm very excited to see how that all pans out because I think yeah. we, we, we have some really ambitious ideas, but I think that like, we've had ambitious podcast episodes too. And we've, yeah. we've just like done it. We're like, we're going to figure it out. <laughs> we're going to figure yeah. it out. We're going to do it. Even if there's like no research on this film whatsoever, we're going to find a way to like uncover stuff. And so I feel exactly. like we're taking that approach to um, maybe some other fun bits and bobs with our season two that's coming up very soon. And um, yeah, I'm excited like you said, like to have more guests, but also just to explore more topics with you. Like we found such a great flow that, um, you know, we have this sort of uh, like there's topics that we wanted to cover this season that we didn't even get a chance to. Like we have so many ideas and it, it's costume design and horror and fashion and history. Like all of those things are such endless pools that we can. They are. Into. And they're ever evolving. Yeah. There's always something. So it's always, yeah, it's always going to keep going and growing and, changing or new information will come out yeah. and surface and yeah so it, it is it is definitely an endless flow like source of resources which is pretty amazing yeah yeah absolutely it's, it's not a finite thing so no not at all it, yeah it's, I mean even just with like ever-changing culture there's always a new way to yeah. interpret something um and 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 doing that is it's just so fun and and I find that this is I mean, this doesn't feel like work to me. Like, it feels just, mm -mm. like, fun. And I think for both of us, like, yes, we're both, you know, pursuing our careers within film and that this is sort of a place for us to talk about the stuff that we love. Like, we love filmmaking. We love history. Like, we love design. Like, this is stuff that's really – that we're really passionate about. And I feel like, for me, doing this podcast has – kept that fire alive in me of like just yes. reminds me like I love film like it reminds me of that and I think that you know especially when you're taking any any sort of creative path that you are turning into like a professional career um especially for those that lean more creative minded versus business minded um you know you can get on a job and like I've known plenty of like PAs that I've I've been friends with like jumping into a job you know they want to be a filmmaker their whole life and then they're like oh my god this is really hard or yeah maybe sometimes not even ethical and I have to remind myself that there's a reason I love doing what I'm doing and also ways that I can affect change you know within you know it'd be amazing to affect change within the industry as a whole but I, I can start with myself and how I run like indie sets and like that kind of yeah. thing and um doing stuff like this that reminds me that this is so fun and film is so fascinating and I want to you know keep that spark alive in others as well and keep that curiosity alive and I think that that's something really cool that we've been able to do um sort of like we talked about in the beginning where um of this episode where um you know it, it is this new angle and that yeah. is something really cool to explore 
Yeah. And it's exciting too, because I mean, before we started, not to tune our own horns, but there is one book about costuming yes. in horror called Fashioning Horror. And it's amazing. And it is. put me onto it. Yes. It is so amazing. But it is my only point of resource sometimes when I'm writing or I'm doing lectures or we're doing the podcast that like, we need more. And like Emma mm-hmm. and I can only do so much. I mean, we're filmmakers and writers and you know we're putting out the, the stuff but like we're only two people so I'm <laughs> we're hoping, working overtime baby <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm hoping that it like inspires other people yeah. to want to talk about these things or dive into these things so yeah I yeah absolutely I, I, I don't want to like like jinx us or, or anything but like I don't know like if somewhere in the future if someone came up to us and said I listened to this podcast and I thought about this like that to me is like, I'd be set, you know, like, yes. or like a, a little kid was like, I wanted to do this career path because of what you're doing. Like, that's great. Like, I don't, I'm not expecting that to happen. But like, that I kind hope, of energy, I, you know, yeah, I hope that, you know, I hope that we're inspiring people. Yeah, I, I think that's the angle of what, <laughs> why we love what we do here. Um, And, you know, it, it is, again, it, it is a totally under-researched um, topic. Yeah. Um. And, and I, I do hope that there's more research about it. And it is pretty cool, though, to be able to, um, you know, I, I, th- I think when I first, like, when I wanted to do the costuming horror panel, and I think you you were actually, like, we kind of did that, we sort of put that together um, with each other, because I remember you were yeah. the first person I brought it up to, and we were like, what if yeah, we did this I thing? And then, then it became a podcast. A job. <laughs> Yes. Like, I remember, like, emailing you guys at Monsters Done be like, I know you have a costume designer, but if you need another one, and that's when we started, like, Skyping and yes. talking and stuff. And yeah, yeah, you were the one that was like, I want to do this. Do you want to do this with me? And I was like, of course, yeah. Yeah, and that, and that it, it's just so, um, you know, at the time when we talked about it, there, like, I don't think we've seen um, – not to say that we're better than anybody, but like it just genuinely wasn't something people were talking about. And yeah. I think that that alone, especially early on in the podcast, almost made me nervous that I would be like, I'm kind of too big for my britches, sort of like, can I, can I research this? Like, can we right. dive into this? Yeah. Um, am I qualified <laughs> really to dive into it? Yeah. Um, is this, you know, are we going to get into topics that just have so little research that it's almost impossible to talk about? But I've learned that not only have we been able to almost just through our own excitement for the topics that we're covering, like we are able to cover it and, you know, explore things, um, but that it's fun and that it does have to start somewhere. And I think that the research aspect of it um, and sort of the platforming of this topic, um, it all starts with conversations. Yeah. And that's almost the best way to explore a topic is we're able to do our own research and then talk to each other about it, have discourse about it um, and learn things from each other. I think we both learned so much from each other. That's kind of amplified our own independent research Um, on top of the guests that we speak to. Like we've had designers and non-designers on the podcast and everyone is excited to talk about this. And they have so much to say and so much to bring to the table that we want to have this space to platform those voices and these topics um, because there is so much to say about them that hasn't been said yet. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So I just think so back exciting. to to our first guest, who was Tracy White, the designer from yes. Tales from the Hood. And What an iconic first guest, by oh the way. Oh, my God. She's, she's amazing. So amazing. And, like, 
you know, it's it's so lovely to have these people still in your lives. And like, mm-hmm. you know, every time she posts something about making another cocktail, like I have to giggle because we, we like joked about making cocktails on the show. And like, it's just so nice to just have conversations about what we love and then just have conversations with people. And um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for the future, Emma. I'm very excited. Yeah, me too. We really have built sort of, um, you know, everyone that we've had guests on the show, we have... Um, we were either like friends with before or have remained friends. Um, and it's it's so refreshing, I think. Like so many of our um, guests, like even just like we do, we'll just like stay on after the podcast and keep talking. Yeah. And, like that is what like sets my heart ablaze, uh, you know, with love and, and excitement um, for, for what we do. Um, and yeah, there's just so many exciting topics to cover for season two. Do you have anything that you're like, I really want to make sure we cover this topic that you can Um, tease. I definitely want to, I love B movies. So I definitely want to do more like Mm. 70s, 80s B movies, like, like crazy campy, like Attack of the Killer Tomatoes, the stuff like those kinds of movies. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So something in that realm for sure. How about you, Emma? Absolutely. Um, Totally agree. That'll be so fun. Um, Something that I would really love to lean into that I don't think we – did as much um it's like sci-fi horror i think that was yeah. one of those topics where like we should do that and then we didn't get around to it um because i don't know we had like another topic or a guest or something yeah there's um, so much but that is really interesting too kind of in the same way that it feels very campy also say like like 70s sci-fi to me like 60 70 sci-fi is just so cool and sci-fi horror specifically there, there's just kind of a plethora there to uncover and that the costume design is so unique and then yeah i'm, I'm kind of excited to dip more into um just sort of the like like the cultural touch points of um how costume design is is affected how how fashion is influenced by that and just kind of that connection that that bridge between like real life fashion and culture into film i know that's kind Mm -hmm. of the generalizing that we do cover yeah i kind of want to dip further into like i love talking about like the history and the culture of what's going on i do too Um, yeah um and Oh, gosh, there's just so many things. There's so much. Because when you think about it, there's really only like just over a hundred and something years of film history. Mm-hmm. And it's so rich and so vast. And there's there's so many different movements in film that like, I mean, gosh, we could do an entire episode on silent German expressionism and like French Nouveau and like all of these different, like there's just so many, there's so much. Yes. In, yeah. in like, you know. The hundred and what is it like hundred and fifty something? I don't, I think it's like a little bit less, but like just within the, that span of time is mind boggling to me. Yes, yeah, no, for sure. And I I also would love to just kind of like go more into um, like I love art house horror. It's like one of my favorite things ever, and like experimental stuff. And I think that doing more episodes on that, like I would love to dive even further into like Ken Russell. Um, yeah. and talk even more about the devils just because i think it's so phenomenally done um and just like mid-century art house is really fascinating to me mm-hmm. um and then yeah i i there, there's just such a plethora of topics we could talk about you know more about tropes more about like we've never talked about lovecraftian horror that no, would be really yeah. fun and yeah i just i can't wait to get into just like that really niche stuff like really yes. oddly specific stuff um, because that's where the, where the research challenge I feel like really comes in because you're like mm-hmm. 
okay, this is so niche within a niche within a niche that you're like, yeah. I don't even know where to look. But um, I think it's a really fun challenge. And then it's cool to talk about that fun challenge that we've gone through together, um, you know, in our in our own research. Um, and then, of course, uh, we have a lot of amazing guests that we really would like to um, have on the podcast um, and share some conversations with you guys with some more guests. I think that would be really cool. Um, yeah. Just get some new perspectives on stuff and hear more about processes from not only costume designers, but um, people in film and horror and fashion in general. Yeah, 100%. Yep. I can't wait. Yes. Let's get weird. Season two. Let's get weird. This is for season two. Um, and, you know, <laughs> I think oh, another thing would love to maybe potentially do some video podcasts. So you have options when you want to listen or watch us on the pod um so that may or may not happen you'll just have to stay tuned to find out <laughs> uh, gosh well this has been a year this has been a year of to die for and we're just so thrilled that you've stuck around to listen to us uh babylon about um the stuff that we love and we hope that you're yeah. you know you're loving it too and that you're that this is fascinating and if you have any questions or um things that you've noticed in film that you want us to dive further into or maybe a moment in history that you kind of want to learn more about let us know we would love to you know research the stuff that our audience is fascinated with um, mm -hmm. because I, I think that our audience reflects a lot of um, you know a lot of people that are interested in the same stuff as us and so we really value your um, your opinion and the stuff that you're fascinated with um, because we'll probably be fascinated too <laughs> oh yeah 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 I'll have to figure out how to um edit in some like party popper sounds one year yes. birthday yay yeah we need we need some party popper <laughs> effects or some i don't know explosions or something yeah because the only thing that comes to mind is that song from lily's wonderland but that's copyrighted so i don't think we can use that we'll just yeah we'll have to find royalty free <laughs> willie's wonderland soundtrack for the pop. oh that movie's so good we should do yeah. that one too oh my god willie's wonderland that's it i do have stuff to say about willie's wonderland <laughs> i um, yeah and I could probably, you know what, we'll bring Jen on for that one because she and I used to work for theme parks. There you go. So Real we life dressed for characters. <laughs> animatronics. That's a whole episode right there is animatronics. Yeah. How, do you, how do you costume an animatronic? That's actually um, what season two is yeah. going to be about entirely. <laughs> uh, well, thank you, everybody, for listening to an entire year a whole season of to die for stay Yay. tuned for the release of season two just a few weeks so don't don't forget about us we won't be gone for too long and hopefully we'll be back with some chaotic fun crazy wacky silly episodes for you to listen to <laughs> don't forget to follow us on instagram at to die for podcast and on twitter at die podcast that's d-y-e for some updates and next time you go into your closet, remember that your pieces could also be to die.